Good morning, everyone. And I am back at it, and I'm going to try and see how the voice holds up so far. So good. It's mostly if I can just keep from coughing, I'll be fine. I actually feel pretty good. The voice is just um, down an octave or two. But it is for great, makes for great dramatic reading, I guess. Uh, we are this today, 2nd of August, here going live. Podcasts, we usually um, kick it in a day late. So, but wherever you're listening, whatever, welcome. And we are going to pick it back up where we should be. And I apologize, not been able to even record what we did yesterday. Just didn't have the voice for it yesterday. So this morning, and I was, we're Ecclesiastes 7 through 9 this morning. 7 through 9, and then 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So uh, let's look over in this day in history, trivia, the signing of the Declaration of Independence on August 2nd, 1776. Members of the Continental Congress began signing their names to the U.S. Declaration of Independence. The last signer, Thomas McCain, didn't add his name until 1781. Mm. And the first airplane purchased by the U.S. government, August 2nd, 1909. You know, that was not that long ago. That's just bizarre. Imagine the people that, you know... Our grandparents were born that early, uh, at least my grandparents. That it just amazes me to think that uh, we've come so far. Because th- back in 1909, the U.S. Army Signal Corps took delivery of the Wright military flyer purchased for a cost of $30,000. That'd be like a million dollars today or something. That's expensive. It was one-of-a-kind built by Wilbur and Orville Wright. The Aeronautical Division of the U.S. Army Corps was the first Air Force and had offered a contract for an aircraft capable of flying, can you believe this, 40 miles an hour with a range of 125 miles. We've come just a little, a little bit from there, huh? A long way from there. Now the new, the new uh, stealth... Fighters, well, probably should say reconnaissance planes. The new ones that we don't know about are going up to Mach 13, 13, 14 times the speed of sound. Unbelievable. Um, So, and that was, yeah, I guess we should throw in the Gulf War, August 2nd, 1990. It's when Hussein ordered the invasion of Kuwait, which kicked off the whole war, and uh, which ended up kicking off Desert Storm. Okay, on to the dad jokes. Here's the one they threw in with this day in trivia, so we get a bonus today. What do you do if someone tells you that you don't have the right to impersonate a flamingo? Well, you put your foot down. <laughs> I didn't have my stuff ready there. Well, that was especially in our day and age. Today I saw a dwarf climbing down a prison wall. I thought to myself, that's a little condescending. (laughs) Boy, that's a political joke you can't say around anybody, I guess, anymore. I like this one. This one's good. Thank you, Peter, for sending your jokes in. Uh, The king of Spain had been quarantined on his private jet 
that means that the rain in Spain stays mainly on the plane. <laughs> All right, now I'm ready, I hope. Father, thank you for this morning, and we ask that you would guide us in our reading and help us to obviously, God, see the connection spiritually and why these things were written for our benefit. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't read Ecclesiastes up to this point, go back and read the first six chapters. We should have been, you know, reading it every day, but, well, we have been, at least if you've been doing it on your own for the reading, but we're catching up now. Wisdom and folly contrasted. A good name is better than a good ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may not be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the cracking of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. And this too is futility. For oppression makes a wise man mad, but a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom, along with inheritance, is good, and the advantage of those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. Consider the works of God, for who is able to straighten what has been bent? In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in wickedness. Do not be excessively righteous, and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? Do not be excessively wicked, and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp one thing and also let go of another. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. Wisdom strengthens the wise. A man more than ten rules who are in a city. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on the earth who continually does good and who never sins. Also, do not take seriously all words which are spoken so that will not hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized 
that you likewise have many times cursed others. I tested all this with wisdom, and I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? I directed my mind to know, to investigate, and to seek wisdom and explanation, and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. And I discovered, more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Behold, I have discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which I am still seeking, but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand, but I have not found a woman among all these. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out my devices. Interesting. Chapter 8. Who is like the wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. And I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. But do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in evil matter, or he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind, or authority over the day of death, and there is no discharge in the time of war, and evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. So then, I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they are so, and they are soon forgotten in the city where they did thus. This too is futility, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. But it will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God. There is futility which is done on this earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility. So I commended pleasure, and there is nothing good for man under the sun except to eat and drink and be merry. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout his days of life which God has given to him under the sun. When I gave my heart to know wisdom, 
and to see the tasks which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night. And I saw every work of God. I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. Chapter 9. For I have taken all this to my heart, and explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and one for the wicked, one for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, and there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead, for whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely... A live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die. But the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, and their zeal have already perished. And they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with a woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life, and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no activity or planning, or knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol, where you are going. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, and the battle not to the warriors, neither is bread to the wise, or wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability. For time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time, like fish, caught in a treacherous net, and birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared at the evil time, when it suddenly falls on them. Also this I came to see, as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city, with a few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise, heard in quietness, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. So many things there to t- 
touch on. <laughs> we could just pick one or two and spend the next hour on it. But what's the overall um, point Solomon is making? That he's looking at the world from his perspective as a king and having all this incredible power and having the the mandate from God to rule righteously. And he's noticing how the world works. And he's seeing these concepts that there's a lot of evil men that do get away with stuff, but they always pay the price. And there is a lot of armies. There's a lot of things that can be done in this world for one's own personal benefit and gain. But the person who walks by righteousness unto God, in other words, knowing that there is a right and a wrong, that there's moral absolutes, even though initially he may not benefit from it, in the long run, he will. His point is, we're all going to die. We all go to the same place. He, in the Old Testament sense, he's talking about Sheol. He says, you know, once you go to Sheol, it's all over. He kind of gives you that in perspective of, wait a minute, this is not the New Testament perspective we have. But he's 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 doing it for a reason. He's not. He's talking about the Jewish concept of Sheol, which is just the place of the dead. And they didn't have the full revelation we do today. He was a mystery, so he wasn't going to try and second guess. We have Paul, we have, we have John, we have all these prophets, that, um, different prophets that went up into heaven and saw things and they could explain it better. We know that Jesus told the man on the cross that he'd be with him in paradise. So we know there's, you know, there's life and life abundantly after we die. But in, in his perspective from what he's trying to communicate is, in this life, you have the opportunity to do what's right. You don't in the next. You don't. You can't make changes in the next. Your fate is decided. And so his whole thing is, wisdom is better than all the wealth and all all of the striving or or the pleasures of the world. And it can it can uh, dominate. It can change the course of wars. It can change the course of the world. So his whole point is seek wisdom. Okay. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together of, to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a messenger or a letter as if from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you of these things, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. But the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring an end by the appearance of his coming. That is... The one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power 
and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the God of our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Boy, there is a strong confirmation we just covered on Sunday in Second Peter 3. Basically, Peter said, you know, some of the stuff that Paul writes is kind of hard to understand. And, but his whole thing was using Paul was as a backup to what he was saying, that the day of the Lord was coming, and it was going to be intense, and it ultimately we'd end up with the, the destruction of the heavens and the earth as we know it, with a new heaven and a new earth. So, and of course, a lot of what Peter was saying was too, was they were getting the same false information that perhaps the uh, you know, rapture had already come. And he'd say, no, don't let anybody deceive you saying it's already come. This was Paul's big point here. That had been, that message was circulating in the church. He says, that hasn't happened yet. Man of sin has not been revealed yet. Now we believe that, that the man of sin is going to be revealed after the, the uh, rapture of the church in the middle point of the tribulation. And then that's when the day of the Lord really heats up the time of Jacob's trouble, and then Jesus comes back and he'll be destroyed. Say he'll be destroyed by the the breath of his mouth, these beautiful poetic saints. Um, so this is Paul backing up Peter, Peter backing up Paul. Uh, Peter has a more direct uh, approach. Day of the Lord, boom, it's going to happen at the end of the world. Paul, a little more difficult to understand because he's looking at different aspects of the day of the Lord. And here he's kind of talking about, you know, the, the, the aspect of the day of the Lord is really going to come when the man of sin is revealed. Um, and uh, that is going to be the intense part of the tribulation, which people were the most concerned about. But, you know, back just, <laughs> just in First Thessalonians 4, he describes in detail the rapture, all of that coming happening before that. So phenomenal books, interesting books. Keep um, keep studying them. For many, many of you, this is something that is new and you're still trying to figure it out because your church backgrounds taught something completely different. I was the same. I went to churches that um, were very post-trib or all-millennial, didn't believe the millennium was going to happen at all. It was all allegorical. Book of Revelation was all allegorical. And I simply accepted it because it was the church I went to. It wasn't until the opportunity to really sit down and study it and get into a deep study in the book of Revelation, get a deep study in the book of Daniel, First Thessalonians, and I kept going through these things in study groups or in church or on my own that 
I started realizing, wow, it's really pointing directly the scripture when you bring it all together to a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Something which the world just has a hard time believing and Christians have a hard time believing. They're just going, that's just too fantastic. But how much more fantastic can you get than the second coming? Jesus coming, riding on a horse with all of us behind him, uh, coming to set his foot down on the Mount of Olives and, and it's splitting in two and setting up his kingdom. We all, we're all waiting for that. We all believe that. We're going, come on, come Lord Jesus. We want you to come, we're ready. So this is not outrageous. We serve an all-powerful, mighty God. Elijah went up in a chariot. Elisha saw him. He was taken up. The Ethiopian eunuch saw Philip taken up. They were raptured, taken out of their sight, physically. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. We believe that. Physically, he was taken. So God can do it, and he's going to do it. And he's going to do it soon. That's why we're reading together. That's why we're strengthening what remains. We are getting our spirits strengthened, getting ready for that day. So Charles Spurgeon now, speak what he teaches now therefore go and i will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say exodus four twelve. many a true servant of the lord is slow of speech and when called upon to plead for his lord he is in great confusion lest he should spoil a great cause by his bad advocacy Amen to that. I can relate to that. In such a case, it is well to remember that the Lord made the tongue, which is so slow, that we must take care that we do not blame our maker. It may be that a slow tongue is not so great an evil as a fast one. A fewness of words may be more of a blessing than floods of verbiage. It is also quite certain that real saving power does not lie in human rhetoric with its tropes and pretty phrases and grand displays. Lack of fluency is not so great a lack as it looks. If God be with our mouth and with our mind, we shall have something better than the sounding brass of eloquence or the tinkling symbol of persuasion. God's teaching is wisdom. His presence is power. Pharaoh had more reason to be afraid of stammering Moses than of the most fluent talker in Egypt. For what he said had power in it. He spoke plagues and death. If the Lord be with us and in our natural weakness, we shall be girt with supernatural power. Therefore, let us speak for Jesus boldly as we ought to speak. Amen. <laughs> as long as we can speak. So, uh, that's an encouragement to me, uh, whether we are weak in, in verbiage or, or weak in ability. We can speak forth for the Lord. And of course, this is really means so much to me. Try coming to a foreign language, foreign country and learning their language and try and communicate the gospel. We're just going, Lord, 
I can't even say a complete sentence. How are these people ever going to come to know you? And you find out that the gospel can be communicated quite effectively. Um, with the right heart, a lot of pointing, sign language, and just a few right words and a good Bible track. It was amazing. Um, if you're willing, God can use the most uh, untalented um, person. My biggest, probably, I, I don't know what the right word to say, challenge in school, other than probably mathematics, but uh, a lot of us have that issue, but uh, was language. Uh, was not good at English, and I flunked Spanish. <laughs> the only course I ever flunked in high school <laughs> was Spanish. And look where God put me. It is, God has a sense of humor. What can I say? He uses the weak things of the world to confound the wise, and uh, it's amazing what God can do when you're willing to just try, stand up, and say, God, use my weak tongue for your glory. And you don't have to say a whole lot. You really don't. We see some of our kids that go out on the evangelism team. These really young kids that just just go up and say, Jesus loves you, and hands them a track or something. I remember one time a little girl did that, and this woman came over to me. She, she was in tears. She said, that meant so much to me. That meant so much to me that this little girl would just come up to me and smile. And, and, I, and I really feel like she cares about me. And she took the track and she said, thank you, I'm going to go read this. There you go. Pretty cool, huh? Well, let's pray. A lot to pray about, actually. Uh, we have some people going through treatments again. Some people that are coming out of it. A lot of things going on. A lot of people like me getting colds and getting sick. And aren't you glad that we can call it a cold again? Uh, you know what I'm so impressed about? People are going like, oh, yeah, got a cold. People aren't like going, ah, don't touch me. No, don't come over. You have to self-isolate for 10, 10 weeks. And people are going, yeah, got a cold. Yeah, I'll pray for you. I mean, finally, we're coming back to normalcy. I, if you can call being sick normal, but I guess it is. So, Father, thank you for this day and this time that we have. Thank you for bringing us together in our weaknesses, in our, uh, in our frailties, and still ministering to us and through us, God. We want to lift up Celeste this morning as she is uh, taking on a, a, a further or new treatment series in her cancer that she's now getting treatment for at this moment. So we thank you for her updates and ask that you continue to use that medicine, God, and use those treatments to to make her useful, a useful vessel for your kingdom. God, I know there's no nothing more than a missionary wants than to be able to be used for your kingdom. So God, I know she wants she wants more to just feel better. She wants to be ministering. So we pray, God, you would use her in the hospital through her correspondence on the web, and the email, and her the posts, the podcasts, or she's, her video blogs, everything God just use her in a mighty way for your kingdom. We thank you for one Carlos, which is uh, ever healing, getting better. We thank you for that. I'm going to pray for uh, Maria Elena, who's really not doing good after cataract surgery, and 
has needed this blood transfusion. It's just been feeling horrible. Father, we really would just ask that you come in and touch and minister to her. I want to thank you for those others that are that seem to be doing much better with uh, either coming out of their cancer treatments but also out of surgery. Continue to heal them up. And for the new people in Christ, God, that are growing, that have come to know you recently, God, we thank you for them. We thank you that you are doing a work. We thank you for our new friends from Columbia uh, that just came to our fellowship and uh, and ask you to bless their lives, the new people that are, the, the new groups. Thank you for bringing Dean, Kim back. Thank you that they're able to come back now and establish them and get treatment again in Viardis. We want to pray for their healing, God, of Lyme's disease, that you could use this year, God, to be the year that completely heals their family. And we pray that you'd help them get back on track now as they settle in and get used to life here in Viardis again. So thank you for them. Thank you for bringing them back. It's so encouraging to see people come back. And uh, just for the family to continue to grow. All the, the growth we see in the second service with the kids coming, the vans going out. God, we pray for your healing touch on our vans where we need a lot of help on them and their air conditioning and different things breaking down. Thank you, God. We pray that the church electricity is now back on after a major um, <laughs> disaster yesterday. But, I mean, minor with the... The meter going bad, and we just pray that that got rectified by the electric company and that everything is fine today so that we can have service tomorrow. So we put this your church, God. We just ask that you keep it functioning, the van's functioning, and uh, you keep us, God, excited and uh, going out and sharing that your love. Thank you for what happened in Mascota. We really pray for Luce and all of the kids there and the mothers, the fathers, that you would be building your church there and uh, encouraging Lucy in her work. Thank you for all she's doing. We just pray for a lot of fruit to come from that, from that outreach we did. So thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. That'll do it for this morning, guys. Thank you for sticking it out with me. Uh, it was a rough start, but uh, thanks to my wife, her wonderful magic tea, and uh, my fisherman's friends and your prayer. I'm I'm uh, I'm able to finish it out and go into the next hour in Spanish. So God bless you all. We will see you tomorrow at the same time. Okay? Bye-bye. Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible. And join us as we journey together through God's Word.